Uh, if you would, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be talking about a, a subject uh, this week that is something that preachers uh, shy away from a little bit, uh, often for, for reasons uh, of concern. The topic that's addressed in our text this week is going to be the topic of giving, and that's something preachers shy away from. Uh, they're a little bit nervous to talk about it. Uh, number one, they don't want to be accused of being greedy or just being all about money or things like that. And I think also partially they're worried if they talk about those topics too much, the congregation will stop coming back. Um, but with a Sunday evening crowd that's going through a book of the Bible, uh, through a book in order, uh, it's not something that the scriptures shy away from. The, the scriptures talk a lot about the concept of giving, and in fact, we're as we study this passage, uh, going to jump around a little bit to see some of the other areas where uh, giving is mentioned. While we're talking about un, unpopular topics, I've had a couple people ask me what we're going to do next. Uh, once we finish up Philippians, this is not our last time in Philippians. We'll be covering the last verses of Philippians, uh, but then next week when we come together to study God's Word, uh, we're going to try and uh, put a lot of things together. We're going to do a real fast and uh, quick overview of the whole book. And one of the reasons why I think that's important is because our methodology is to usually take a, a small group of verses and go real deep. And the danger of that is then uh, you don't necessarily see how the whole book connects to itself. Uh, so next week it'll be more of a synthetic um, message where we're tying together a lot of the themes from the whole book. Uh, after that, however, we're going to do a, a short series on hell, which is another unpopular topic in these days and times. Uh, but the, uh, just to give you the reasons why we're going to do that next, it was in, inspired by an article I read um, Recently, and, and the title of it was, We're Starting to Preach a Hell We Don't Deserve and a Jesus We Do Deserve. And, and in the title of that article, it, it hints at something that's very important to understand, that your view of hell affects your view of Christ. If you view hell as something that's not for you and something you don't deserve or as something that's not that bad, you diminish the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, so those are some of the reasons why we're going to be covering that next. I'm also going to be covering it because I like covering topics that not a lot of people talk about. And hell falls into that category. But back to Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 14 through 23. Uh, just to remind you a little bit, uh, back in verse 10, uh, Paul said that he was rejoicing that the Philippians had revived their concern for him. This is referring to uh, some financial gifts and support that were sent with Epaphroditus uh, from Philippi to Paul, who we believe was in prison at Rome at this time. And we, Paul kind of has this interesting job of uh, thanking the Philippians for the gift while not making it all about the gift. And in the midst of that, he just says he has learned the secret of contentment. And that's what we talked about two weeks ago when we were last together here in this meeting. 
And as he talked about finding contentment, he pointed out that he knew how to be in really nice circumstances, really bad circumstances. He knew how to be brought high and brought low. And he said that he did this uh, because he could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we talked about how that verse has been misappropriated. People have used that verse to say how they can get out of trouble, how they can never go through poverty. Paul uses it to say that is how he can go through all those circumstances, is by finding his strength in Christ. So in verse 14, he returns to talking about the gift after taking a brief tangent, as Paul tends to do on contentment. Read with me Philippians chapter 14, sorry, chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now as we open and study your word that we would be transformed by your word. Lord, we pray that we would not just be passive as your word is spoken. We pray, Lord, that we would not be resistant to your Holy Spirit, but with open ears and open hearts, we would be open to the transforming work of your Holy Spirit in our lives through your word. Lord, we ask you to move mightily in and among us for your glory and for your purposes, that we might be men and women who bring praise and glory and honor to your name. Until the day when Christ returns to establish his rule and his kingdom over all, may we be found faithful and fruitful in that task. Amen. Uh, so we have here a passage where Paul is encouraging the Philippians. He's in a way thanking the Philippians, although he never explicitly says thanks to the Philippians. It's kind of interesting. For this gift. And one of the things we see as we look in this passage is, why do the Philippians give? It's an important question, is it? Why, why do we give? And in our day and age, it's a, a particularly pertinent question, because we live in a day and age where people find a lot of their security, people find a lot of their comfort, people find a lot of their significance in their material possessions. So if that's where you find your security, if that's where you find your, your safety, why on earth would you give it away? 
Why on earth would you contribute to something else? Why on earth would you let that go? Send it to a prisoner like Paul who might be executed. That's not a good long-term investment strategy, is it? Well, it, it depends on why you give. Paul says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. We, we first of all see one of the reasons why they give is that they are compassionate. Uh, by the way, that's, a, that's an interesting word. Um, you know, the word passion has, has changed meanings quite a bit. Uh, passion now, when you say the word, it brings up the idea of excitement or, or energy. What are you passionate about? That's What are you excited about? What are you, what are you really pumped up about? But the, the term has a different meaning, and, and we see it when we hear about the passion of Christ. The, the passion of Christ refers to his suffering. And the way it kind of morphed is, what are the things you're willing to suffer for, then became, what are the things you're willing to get excited for? The, the word compassion has passion at its root, suffering. And so compassion is suffering with. If we're compassionate for somebody, we enter into their suffering. The Philippians were compassionate towards Paul. And therefore, they wanted to enter into their suffering. He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. I'm in jail, but you're sending me money. Now remember, the the Romans were very practical people, and they didn't believe that being imprisoned uh, was any type of excuse to keep you from paying your taxes or your bills or clothing or feeding yourself. So prisoners in that day and age had to rely upon others to meet even their most basic needs, which is one of the reasons why the Philippians sent the gift with Epaphroditus to Paul, so that he could meet even his most basic troubles. That's a reason is that they were compassionate. But we see a little bit later on in 15, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. He mentions a partnership here. This is a gospel partnership. One of the things that uh, Paul is, or one of the things that's shown here in Philippians is that the Philippians gave because they viewed themselves as in a gospel partnership. If you'll remember, one of the themes in the book of Philippians is gospel citizenship. Verse 20 of chapter 3 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. It talks about a citizenship in heaven. Here it talks about a gospel partnership. The reason why the Philippians give is that they've realized that Entering into the gospel makes you a part of something much bigger than yourself. One of the difficulties we have in our cultural context as as Americans is that in a lot of America, people view Christianity as a small part of their lives. They're like, well, this is what I do professionally, and 
you know, this is how I vote, and this is the car I drive. We're, we're, we're Honda people. And, you know, they have all these things. And then, oh, yes, I'm also a Christian. That's one of the things that I am. It's one of the small components that makes me who I am. Now, what's that view in Christianity? That's viewing Christianity as a small part of me rather than viewing me as a small part of Christianity. Christianity is something much bigger than me. The gospel is a movement, a story, a kingdom, a city that is much, much bigger than me. It talks about a partnership here. Uh, I don't know much about business. I've been in the uh, nonprofit world, which is often accused of being anti profit. Uh, so I don't know much about business, but if you were going into business with somebody, if you were starting up a business with them and, and they came up to you and said, hey, look, I really believe in this idea. I want to be partners with you, but I don't want to put any money into it. A red flag would go up even to the least business savvy among us. Because in, in a business partnership, you want somebody who's willing to invest. You want somebody who's got skin in the game. You, have some, you want somebody who prioritizes that financially. In, in marriage as well. My wife and I have one bank account. It's not my earnings go off and, and, and are put into this account and her earnings are put into this account. All the money goes into the same account. And all the money we spend it comes out of the same account. Why? Because we're in a partnership. We're in it together. We've pooled our resources. We've collected them to do what we intend to do in marriage. Here, this, this partnership that the, Paul is talking about, the Philippians being a part of the, this gospel partnership, we see that they take it seriously, not only personally, but financially. They're willing to give and sacrifice for the sake of Paul and his gospel work. They view and they themselves as a part of a gospel partnership. We said earlier that this is also reflected in the idea of uh, citizenship. Paul talks about us being citizens of heaven. And there are kind of two sides of of citizenship. Uh, I I didn't grow up in the era where you had civics classes, uh, which I think our nation is probably suffering as a result of. But, but in civics, what does it talk about? Well, one of the things it talks about is the benefit of citizenship. As a citizen, what do you get? What, what are your rights? What are your, your privileges? And then there's also civic duty. As a citizen, what are my responsibilities? Now, we just ended tax season which is one of our civic duties, to pay the taxes that are imposed upon us by our elected officials in order to accomplish the purposes they set out. What are the rights and what are the obligations of citizenship? The the Philippians viewed their citizenship of heaven and important stewardship of that as financial giving, as gospel partnership. Now, uh, one of the things we want to see uh, is that the, the Philippians are actually a group that Paul brags about in other parts of Scripture. Uh, notice how he says, uh, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Uh, Macedonia is, is the region in which Philippi exists. Th- Thessalonica is also um, probably in this, in this area. Uh, so one of the things we're going to see is in other scriptures, Paul brags about the giving of the churches in Macedonia. Uh, look with me real quick at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, uh, in verses 26 and 27, is what we're going to look at. Romans chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. When he's speaking here to the Romans, uh, he's, he's using these other places, Macedonia and Achaia, to encourage the Romans to be generous in giving to the poor, Listen to what he says. Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Blessings. Now, there's an interesting principle that's found here, particularly in the second verse, and it's the principle that spiritual blessing motivates financial giving. Spiritual blessing motivates financial giving. If we have been the recipients of spiritual blessing, if we've been the recipients of grace, if God has given to us freely, that should be reflected in the way that we handle our money. Are we gracious in our money? Are we generous in our money? Are we reflecting the glory? Are we reflecting the character of a gracious and giving God as His people in the way in which we handle money? There's another passage, it's kind of interesting if you track it chronologically, uh, this Romans passage came, comes later, uh, but I wanted to read it first because that idea that spiritual blessing motivates financial giving, I think is important for us to understand. But this Romans passage comes actually chronologically a little bit later. It says here he's, he's praising the Macedonian Christians for their giving and taking up a collection for the poor in Jerusalem. It also says Achaia. It's also interesting, Achaia is where Corinth is. Uh, and turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 8. This passage uh, comes before Romans, and we're going we're gonna to see something interesting Paul does. As I said, we can be shy about talking about money. We can be shy about talking about contributing, but the Scripture really isn't. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at that. Uh, this, we've been talking about why we should give. Why should we give? We should give because of gospel partnership. We should give because of Christian compassion. We should give because we have been spiritually blessed in Christ Jesus. Now, another question we have to ask is, how should we give? In what manner should we give? 2 Corinthians 8 gives us insight into that. Beginning in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, 
about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, that is their persecution, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. There's an encouragement to give. And it's call, they call giving an act of grace. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, it was probably over a year ago now in this service, we did a study on the spiritual gifts. And one of the things that, that's interesting about the spiritual gifts is that the spiritual gifts are also used to be called by a different name. Does anybody know what they used to be called? Did you say it? What? Charismata, which is? Graces. Yeah. So the, the spiritual gifts used to be called the spiritual graces because they believed that they were graciously bestowed to the saints for the benefit of others. So here, and uh, we, we also have this in Romans 12, 6 through 8, there's a list of, I'm, I'm not going to look at it in, in depth, but there's a list of spiritual gifts and in that list is a one of the things they list is giving and some people kind of hyper spiritualize it but honestly i think it refers to financial giving giving monetarily to something and it refers to it as as a spiritual gift now one one thing i want to emphasize and this is important of all the spiritual gifts is i can't say well you know i don't really have the gift of giving so i don't have to you know, I, I don't think naturally in, in, in myself, I'm particularly gifted at this. It, it's something I have to work on. It's something I have to develop. There's somebody I know, and, and, and I noticed that he's, he seemed to have the gift of giving. Uh, so, I, so I asked him, I said, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you get so excited about that? And he said, well, you know what? I, I just have a joy in being able to offer something back to God. He says, on Monday, I start getting excited about the offering I can put in on Sunday. I thought, wow. I want to have that type of joy in giving. I, I, I want to have that type of excitement. How, how do we give? This passage in 2 Corinthians uh, shows us, first of all, that we should be giving joyfully. Notice their, the, the contrast here of their circumstances. Uh, is the churches of Macedonia, one of which is Philippi, as we've said. And we know that Philippi was a region where there was persecution. It says, for in a severe test of affliction, they're already being afflicted. How do they react in the, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty? Those were reasons why they were giving. 
is the abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. People who are, who are suffering and poor are giving joyfully to the Lord. They're excited about what they can do. They also give generously. It says, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave eagerly. They gave abundantly. They gave with joy. We see not only generos- in terms of generosity, they also gave sacrificially. Now, now what's the, the difference between the two? Well, I don't know if you know this, but Bill Gates has, has given away um, a whole lot of money. You know, more, more money than I can probably ever imagine. Uh, Bill Gates has given away. But do you know what? Bill Gates is still on the, the list consistently of the top three wealthiest people in the world despite having given away billions of dollars. Now, he's given very generously, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's given sacrificially. I don't think Bill Gates has has ever felt the pinch from having given away all all that money. It's interesting, too. What is Jesus' supreme example of giving? It's the widow's might. It's seeing a widow in the temple. By the way, widows in that day and age, your social security and your retirement account was your husband and kids. And true widows would be people without either of those, so they were left to fend for themselves. They were some of the most vulnerable people in that society. She gave, and she was commended despite the fact that financially she was probably giving the least amount of anybody who was giving in the temple, a fraction of a day's wages, but she was commended. Why? Because she gave everything that she had. She gave sacrificially. The cost to her was much higher than the cost to anyone else. That's what Jesus commends in giving, is giving sacrificially. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I'm, I'm going to butcher the quote, I should have written it down, uh, but when he, when he was uh, addressing this in the book Mere Christianity, he said, uh, when, when asked how much we should give, it's uh, probably more than we think we should. It, it's, uh, if you're able to do everything that you want to do and everything that you enjoy to do without feeling the pinch, he says, you're probably not giving sacrificially. Are we giving sacrificially? We see here that their giving was not dependent on their condition. There, there's a, um, a scene in The Fiddler on the Roof, the, the great play where uh, Tevya, who's the main character, falls on hard times. and There's a beggar in the town that he always, always gives to. I think this is from Fiddler on the Roof. I might be co-opting it from something else. And uh, the beggar comes to him one time after he's fallen on hard times, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, can't, I can't give anything. We're not doing as well right now. And he said, um, well, why should your difficulties become mine? <laughs> and he thinks about it for a minute and then ends up giving him the money. Here we have people, uh, by the way, the donation that was given to the church in Jerusalem was because they were going through a famine and they were impoverished. So here, here are poor people gathering up money to do what? To send it to poor people. 
There, we, we see that their generosity is, is not determined by how much is in their bank account. They give joyfully, they give generously, they give sacrificially. How can they do all these things if they're impoverished, if they're poor? It says they can do these things because they give faithfully. Now, what do I mean by that? We, we see here even Paul, as he describes it, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their needs of their own accord. They gave beyond their means. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They looked forward not to what they could keep, but what they could give. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave joyfully, generously, sacrificially, and faithfully. The, the reason why these poor people in, in the first century could give themselves away like this is because they did not have their faith, they did not have their trust placed in earthly things, in material possessions. But because they had placed their faith in God, they're willing to give away what they had. They had a joy in something else. They had a security in something else. And because they were trusting in the Lord, they were able to give these things away. They weren't hanging on to money. They were hanging on to the Lord. Uh, By the way, so if you put that together, here in, in Corinth, he's writing to them and commending the Macedonians. Remember, Corinth is in Achaia. And then in Romans, what does he say? He commends Macedonia and Achaia and what they had given to the poor. So, so what's Paul doing? You know, it'd be like me coming in here and saying, well, you know, Christ Methodist has made a really large donation to international missions, and Second Pres has given a whole lot to international missions. Now, what's First of Anne doing? You know, there's a little, a little bit of pressure, a little bit of competition. So Paul in Corinth uses Macedonia and the church there in Philippi as motivation to leverage the Corinthians and, and to motivate them to give them a positive example of giving. And then apparently the Corinthians gave, and then what does he do? He uses the churches in Macedonia and the churches in Achaia, which included Corinth, to motivate the churches in Rome to give. So Paul, we see, he's doing a little bit of wheeling and dealing here. He, he's not afraid to try and motivate people to give for the causes of Christ. We see in, in Philippians, he's not dependent on these things, but he eagerly seeks them. One of the reasons why Paul seeks uh, these gifts is because Paul loves the Philippians. Uh, Paul loves that they give, and Paul loves that they give sacrificially. Uh, one, one of the things we also see in this p- passage, it's interesting. Uh, in, ver- in verse 10, we're, we're back in Philippians 4. In verse 10, which, which we talked about a while, uh, we kind of glanced over last time we were together. Paul, who does he thank for the gift that the Philippians give him? Notice this in verse 10. He rejoices in the Lord. So because the Philippians gave to him, he's thankful to God. Now, 
It's interesting what shows up in our passage. Because the Philippians gave to Paul, what does he view it as? He views it as a gift, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He recognizes that their gift to him is because of their partnership in the gospel, and that as they are giving to him, their true purpose is to honor and glorify God and his purposes. So he says, what you've done is a good thing. What you've done is an acceptable thing. What you've done is a pleasing thing towards God. I think this is part of the reasons why the Philippians are able to give joyfully. Because they know that what they're doing is honoring and glorifying one who has given so much to them. I think our our understanding of God, our understanding of Christ, understanding of what He has done for us is reflected in the way in which we treat money. Do we view God as a generous God who gives to us all things we need? Do we view Him as a sacrificial God who is willing to make sacrifices on our behalf? Do we view Him as a good God? Are we willing to trust Him in poverty? Are we willing to let go of things and give them back to Him so that we might trust more in His care? Uh, the, The passage here says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, This again is a passage that has been twisted in some inappropriate ways. There's some people that use this passage to say, well, see, uh, it's kind of a televangelist pitch. The televangelist comes on, tells you to give, and say, hey, look, if you give, you're going to get. you got to give money for the Lord to be able to bless you. And they make a pitch saying, look, if you give your money to this cause, then the Lord's going to financially bless you. That's not what's being said here. And it tells a lot about us and our culture that that we think that. Do you know why? Because it says your needs will be provided by God. If we think our needs are primarily financial, that tells more of us than it does about this passage. It says that these needs will be supplied according to the riches, to God's riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Are God's riches in glory in Christ Jesus financial? I hope not. That would be to cheapen them. That would make them to be far less than the grace, the mercy, the peace, the salvation that He has poured out upon us. He will provide our needs. Remember where Paul is. Paul is in in prison with no way to pay his bills, dependent on the donations of others, and he's talking about a God who supplies your needs. But do you know what he's modeled throughout the book of Philippians? He's modeled throughout the book of Philippians a joy and a confidence in God that supersedes his circumstances. Why? Because he has found the riches of God's glory in Christ Jesus, and that has satisfied his needs. 
says all this happens to our God. And he said in the end, to God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He rejoices in these things. He's focused not on his glory, but God's glory. Finally, in the last few paragraphs, and we'll run through this really quickly, he says to greet the saints in Christ Jesus. He says the brothers that are with him greet you. He says all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Remember way back in chapter 1, we talked about the fact that Paul is in prison, but he's rejoicing in his imprisonment because though he is in chains, the gospel is continuing to spread. Though he is behind bars, the gospel is freely spreading. And we see here that even some of Caesar's household, this could include the servants, the slaves, other people who were a part of the household, had come to know Jesus Christ and were eager to send their regards to Philippians. Finally, he blesses them with the greatest thing he can think of. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Saints, why should we give? We should give because we are partners in the gospel. We should give because we are men and women who have received from the storehouses of God's riches His grace and peace poured out upon us. How should we give? We should give joyfully, generously, sacrificially, and faithfully. We get an opportunity now to go out this week and practice these things. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that in my heart and in these believers' hearts, you would foster in us a joyful, giving heart, a heart that is eager to please you. Lord, we pray that as Christ sacrificially gave for us, we may be a people who are eager to sacrifice for the benefit of others. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be joyful, to be generous, to be sacrificial, to be faithful in our reliance upon you as we give. Lord, we pray that we would not be overly attached to the things of this world, but we would invest our lives, our money, our resources in things that will matter for eternity. In the beautiful and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.